you get an insight into the universe and you get an insight into the fact that the universe is something that is propelled out of you. You're not apart from it. And, and you are the generator of all of these things. And that recognition, I think it allows, it allows you to see, if you're fortunate enough to see it, like just how important you are. And you don't need to become the CEO. You don't need to get your name in magazines all the time. You don't need to do this. You're already just just by being there, whatever you're vibrating, whatever you're kind of communicating, your existence is already such a success. Welcome to True Intention. podcast where we dive deep into the art of healing, the journey of transformation, and the secrets to building a life that's truly beautiful. I'm your host, Tina Brown, and I believe that within each of us lies the power to heal, transform, and create a life filled with purpose and beauty. In every episode, we'll explore the stories of incredible individuals who have overcome adversity, found their true intentions, and crafted a life that's nothing short of inspiring. Whether you're seeking guidance on personal growth, self-discovery, or simply looking for a dose of inspiration, True Intention is here to light your path. Our guests will share their intimate journeys, powerful insights and practical tips to help you embark on your own transformative adventure. So join us each week as we uncover the wisdom, courage and resilience needed to turn life's challenges into opportunities for growth. Let's embark on this journey together because when we set our true intentions, the possibilities are limitless. This is True Intention. Let the transformation begin. Hello, it's Tina and you're very welcome back to True Intention. Today's guest is author, meditation teacher and coach Connor Crichton. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. This chat really is food for the soul. We talked about meditation, love, finding your way in a busy world, the inherent value in simply being yourself and the importance of taking responsibility for your own happiness. I loved every moment of this conversation and just being in Connor's presence, and I know you will too. I hope you enjoy. Connor, you're very welcome to True Intention. Thank you so much for being here. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much, Tina, for having me along. Well, I am just delighted to see what we end up chatting about today. I think it's always really great for us for learning and, you know, for our own growth to hear about other people's journeys and how they get to where they are. So, you know, you didn't um, arrive out of the womb and um, become a meditation teacher. So we might just go back. And I know that you have been a journalist and, and a bartender and, and lots and lots of jobs and different careers on your journey. But maybe you'll just take us back to maybe even before that, you know, so before you were a journalist, how how did you arrive there even? Do you know, I always I feel very lucky in that I always had a sense that I wanted to write. 
Do you know what I mean? It's always like from the youngest of ages. Um, are you as astrological at all, Tina? Yes. So I am a Virgo moon and they say that Virgo moons uh, always know their purpose in life. And I feel very lucky in that. I mean, they also say that Virgo moons are a pain in the arse, which <laughs> is also true. But I've always kind of had this sense of like, this is what I want to do in life. I, I haven't always believed that I could do it, but I always said I had this sense. I always wanted to write stuff. And I remember being even quite young and having this idea of being like a hobo who wrote. Do you know that that seemed really appealing, yeah. like being kind of nomadic and writing and been on my own off in the world with a rucksack on my back. And so that was a lot of like, I suppose a lot of my younger years, that was sort of my thing, like backpacking and writing journals and getting kind of like funny jobs in different places and would sort of say yes to anything that sounded somehow like it would make for a good story in the future. Which, which, which was really quite, quite dangerous. I think in a way, I ended up in a lot of like crazy places. But I suppose I was lucky enough and been like a, a European tall male that I kind of uh, didn't didn't really end up in um, having many bad experiences. But but I think that was it. It was, it was just a lot of a lot of searching for me, and then, um, and then journalism became a way for me to just um satisfy a need I had to see my name in print it was really about identity I remember the first time I ever wrote something for a magazine and the thrill of it I, I wrote something just sort of I was living in Italy at the time and I just wrote this piece for this English language Italian publication and they took it and I just remember seeing my name in a magazine like I probably didn't sleep for two nights I was so excited by that and um, I then journalism for me was just chasing that, you know, chasing, you know, I want I want to get like I want to be on the front cover. I want to have like the center spread. I want my you know, it was, it's the excitement of having it for me of like them published somewhere and then going to a newsstand or whatever or online in later times and seeing written by Connor Crichton, story by Connor Crichton. Um, was was huge for me it was a real ego rush it's so funny you say that like as you said that I just my eye went over to my bookshelf over here and I I had that same and I was thinking I remember that too having my name like in a magazine I don't think they make it anymore it was confetti magazine it was a wedding oh I know that magazine magazine, yeah yeah Yeah. I remember being so excited I must have bought about like five copies you know know. you know and just to have to make sure in case one I don't know got lost something that I would have it but I understand that that rush that sense of but is it it's validation I suppose for um, Um, you know who who we are or it's you know that status or something you know that's wants to be seen and that's what it is really isn't it it's that longing it's like oh I am somebody now. Tina, I think, and I think it just all speaks to like that great human need to belong. And somehow we 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 move through this life like like I believe if you're here, you belong. You know what I mean? If you if you if you're somehow incarnated in a human body, like you're you're very much needed. Like we need you here. And and you're super important. And this God, the 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 difficulty we have in in feeling that we belong and that we're important and that we are valid. 
Um, I, I think that that's like my life's work anyways, to, is to come to a place where I really feel like I belong here. Yeah, and and I think in a sense, isn't that what everybody really wants? But I think a lot of the time we don't know how to express it or maybe we're expressing that in, you know, in looking for things externally. So like that, you know, seeing your name, be it in lights or in a magazine or seeing yourself as the, the CEO or the, you know what I mean? You're looking for, we're looking for it all externally all the time. But I guess the truth really is that that success and love and everything is an inside job. And yeah, and, and it's 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 more than that, Tina. You know, it's like sort of it's it's like I think definitely one of the one of the sort of the, the gifts of meditation is or and, and the gifts of psychedelics too is that you you get an insight into the universe and you get an insight into the fact that the universe is something that is propelled out of you. You're not apart from it. Um and, and you are the generator of all of these things. And that recognition, I think it allows it allows you to see if you're fortunate enough to see it, like just how important you are. And you don't need to become the CEO. You don't need to get your name in magazines all the time. You don't need to do this. You're already just just by being there, whatever you're vibrating, whatever you're kind of communicating your existence is already such a success and uh i i think um i think that's that's such a that's such a healing thing for people to realize if if they ever realize that you know i know it's exactly what you said it's like you know we're you were here it's not a mistake that you're here Mm -mm. you know and we're so taken by what we're conditioned to and um what you know what society says we should be and and all that that we it's very difficult to feel that you belong just as you are right yeah 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 and so how did we go from journalists to meditation you know because i i believe you studied in india and so could you just tell us a little bit about that and was there what was the catalyst for that? You know, what was going on? Because I, I, you know, I firmly believe that there's two ways that we change either by, you know, something like that cataclysmic or, you know, something unfortunate happening in your life that forces your hand or by choice. So did you come across this way of life by choice or did something kind of catapult you in that direction? Um, I think like just great fortune really to be honest with you like i had you know at the the average amount of suffering that we all have you know the average amount of depression and anxiety etc cetera, etc cetera. and i guess kind of ways of conventional ways of dealing with that like maybe through the accumulation of money or um trying to kind of establish myself in in a maybe more mainstream fashion they just didn't seem to appeal to me you know I just didn't seem to it didn't seem to work so well so I guess what um and I feel kind of fortunate that I wasn't able to sort of find more contentment with those things you know I, I was always in and out of love relationships were always so difficult for me um the same with work I was never never someone who could really work for someone else or have a job you know those things were tough for me and um 
didn't really have a huge interest in money, you know? And it was, so it's sort of, I guess, conventional ways of finding some sort of meaning and contentment weren't really available for me. And as a result, found myself doing very unconventional things in in a bid to find happiness, you know? And, and, and I think it's just, that's just pure fortune and good luck that uh that I said yes to those things because I, I also like I still I, I think I, I would consider myself very cynical and very protected well more protected than cynical and the cynicism is sort of a, a, a symptom of the protectionism and will be quite anti a lot of things um as a way of preserving myself and just feel lucky that there was a couple of things that I sort of jumped into head first which is very unlike me and um got great benefit from them and they changed my life like like the passana would have been one definitely a sort of a I, I signed up for a 10-day meditation course without really knowing what it was and um same way my first experiments with say ayahuasca and things like that didn't really know what that was either um so I feel my my naivety and and just good luck seem to pull me into pull me in the right direction and and yeah and you I guess you know yourself like when you when you have experiences like this it's very very difficult to try and look for conventional forms of external happiness when you've experienced sort of deep realms of cosmic bliss (laughs) and so I guess how did you go from Mm -hmm. learning about meditation or you know being on these silent retreats and stuff for say for 10 days at a time what made you think well this is something that I actually want to teach to other people or everybody should know about this or you know what was what was the thought behind that well I suppose it was it was a a bit of it was sort of the the status you know it felt like wow how cool a meditation teacher and like that's everyone's going to respect a meditation teacher I think there was a little bit I was drawn towards the status of that 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 seems quite nice um and also a a genuine a genuine desire like I I feel I feel often at my best when I'm helping others and you know all of my friends I I didn't really have any friends from say spiritual communities when I first started to dabble in spirituality all my pals were you know we, we were we were drinkers we were like partiers whatever that was our kind of world and so they they were all fairly miserable too so um having acquired a few tools and and some little insights and bits of wisdom was was really good you know I I then became I was like oh I'm becoming like an agony aunt for my for my buddies and um that sort of in a way was teaching you know I just wasn't really charging for it and then I can remember very specifically somebody asking me, uh, offering me money to teach them to meditate. And uh, I think it was 100, 100 euro for four sessions I did with them or something. This is a long time ago. And that's the very first time I ever made money from meditating, from teaching meditation. And I realized, oh, wow, if I could make all my money from this, I'd probably become very good at teaching it and I might help a lot of people. Um, so that's sort of when that happened. That's so lovely. It's yeah. it because you're it's just again, it's like it's fortune or happening upon or maybe it was supposed to be that way. But in a way that like I often see that when 
when you really you think that you really want something and when you force things, they just don't ever seem to turn out the way they are and that everything that you're supposed to do eventually brings its way around if it's meant to be yours. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then what brought you then to you go from meditation teacher and how did you become an author? So you have you have a couple of books in, I suppose, in the in the wellness, spirituality, self-worth kind of realm. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that and how that came yeah. out. Well, I, I, I wrote a couple of novels before. Um, and so sort of writing books was always kind of like something that I've done. You know, I think even like I think I might have even written a book when I was like 19. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, and I have I've probably got about six books that in different folders in different places <laughs> that I have never like seen the light of day. Um, and it's one of the, it's, so it's, it's sort of just something that I really, really enjoy. I love being on my own and um, I love just being on my own and writing. It, it's always been like a sort of a very sweet feeling for me to do that. I really enjoy writing. Um, so it, that's always just been, I never thought I never thought I would do something in the self-help world because I always thought those books were kind of a pile of crap and thought like, again, a little bit of a had a little bit of fear around, like just thinking those books are a bit soft. And, you know, I, I don't write those sort of books. Yeah, it was it was very so it, it, it took a little bit. I had to kind of accept that I'm also soft, you know, and, and to allow myself, I think, to write those sort of books. Okay. So do you believe then that like that softness that you talk about is, Mm -hmm. is it there? It's there in all men, but we've just been, just like you said, like men have been kind of like, you know, you shouldn't show your emotions and like, what can you speak to of that? You know, I don't know. I, I, I I don't know if it's in all men. Um, I, 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 I guess it is, you know, I, I imagine it might be, um, I certainly know that it's in the men who come to say do workshops with me or the workshops that I do with other men. Um, I certainly notice there's a softness there. Um, but by softness, I guess it's sort of it's a strength, really. Like it, it, maybe maybe I think when I first used the term soft, it was sort of um, an, a negative reference towards this type of books that I perceived w- were quite emotionally led but the reality is like I mean I'm in I'm in a men's circle with a a lot of men and and some of them are are, you know ex-soldiers and very very strong men and when they when they share when they come from a place of feeling and emotion and when we connect to each other it's anything but soft it's very powerful Mm. Um, and very safe I think um that finding a safe space or you know you know men now being able to come together and I suppose have a form of intimacy between men it's probably not something that we would be used to right you know hearing or seeing yeah yeah no it's it's not um but I think we better get used to it I think it's more of a coming down the line (laughs) Yeah. Right. And have you noticed that too? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm. And I think we mm-hmm. should be, you know, starting to to embrace all of this and for everybody to feel that they they have a place to go and a place to be heard and to be seen, you know, and I suppose the more that we can allow that for women as well, because I, you know, I feel that as a woman and as a mother and and all that, that, oh, there's so much that tells us we have to try to be everything. And I think the people in the trying to be everything, I think that we're feeling a lot of not being able to feel like you're anything. Yeah. What, What can we do about that? There's more of this, I think, and more conversations and, Mm. allowing people just telling people yeah it's okay like you know Mm. and I suppose maybe to see that there's more people that to more connection you know and I think that's like in this age of like where we can it looks like and should feel like that you can be we can be connected to anyone or a thousand people at any one time it's very lonely Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it can be very very lonely and I suppose like this idea of, you know, with social media, I suppose, and everything. And it's probably always been there a bit because, okay, social media, it's like it's in your face now all the time. But even like for me growing up, you know, magazines or American TV shows or whatever, there was that like attainment of like, you know, only beautiful people were on television and only beautiful people got to do certain things. And I... I always felt, I guess, I was very insecure um, growing up about, say, like about how I looked and how I felt and about myself. And I and I remember having it slightly, you know, it's like having a, an idea reinforced by a person in authority. And when I was in secondary school, I think I oh, must have been maybe in fifth year and a teacher had said to me, so it must have been early on a fifth year. She was kind of asking us what we wanted to do or, you know, what we're supposed to looking towards, like, you know, the leaving certain the CAO and all that kind of stuff, what we wanted to do. And I had and I had said, oh, you know what? I'd love to be an air hostess, as it was called mm-hmm. at that time. And she said to me, you know, it's certain things and I have over my lifetime ruminated a lot about this conversation. But she said, you know, Tina, you have to be really beautiful to be an air hostess. So maybe we'll have a look at something else for you. And I, I mean, now, um, now I look at that and I, I understand that that was nothing to do with me. Right. But as you know, and it was everything to do with her projection. Yeah. But as a 15, 16 year old girl who was already very insecure, that was devastating for me. And of course, in the moment you laugh it off and pretend it never happened. But Mm. what happens is like, I carried that for 20 years before I was able to do, you know, as part of doing the work and on my own personal healing journey, went back to that moment and sat with that moment and Mm. took in like what, what that did to me and how it affected me. And now I'm able to let it go. And obviously, like I said, I'm able to look back and see that that was all about her and yeah. it was nothing to do with me. Yeah. But we have to be be mindful about like what we're saying. And I guess there's a lot of throwaway comments that are made 
all through your lifetime, but it has an effect, you know, everything that we say and how we connect with people has an effect. And I think like we were saying, what can we do? It's like to be more aware of how people I suppose and feel and what what we what we can say to make instead, you know, to make people feel safe and to make them feel like mm. they are deserving of whatever their dreams or whatever they wanted to be. Now, I guess like me wanting to be an air hostess, which I will say I did go on to do. Did you? Amazing. I did. Well done. Now, you know, I worked I worked for Aer Lingus for 10 That's years. the best airline you could have worked for. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and I, and I loved it. I loved it. But I didn't do it for years. And even I remember even when I applied, I remember going into that interview and being like, are they going to be in the, my head? It was like, you know, I was very pre- prepared for the interview process, but I wondered what they would say. Would they hire me if I was pretty enough? to be yeah. a cabin crew member. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I've gone off the point a little bit, but my the point of that story, I suppose, was, you know, we looked at things, you know, and we look at things like even back then it was like, OK, you have to look a certain way to do a certain thing. And mm-hmm. with social media and, you know, influencers and all that, like that stuff now is even it's more in your face all the time. Yeah. So it's like, how do we pull that back, pull away from that? And this whole because I think like we're caught in this comparison trap a lot and it's not allowing us to fully be into our power and to feel like, yeah, that what you have to give is valid if you don't look like, you know, if you don't look a certain way. So like what how do we how do we? I suppose, draw back the curtains on that and see what is good and what is real. I think in terms of the comparison piece, we're, we're really just programmed to compete with each other. I think this begins in school. Um, I think it's probably a good idea to, I think so much of, of our adult existence is just de-schooling ourselves. Um, and the example you gave there of what that teacher said to you is a prime example of the cruelty of so much of our of what happens to so many of us in school. And um, I think a big part of the de-schooling program is recognizing that we have there's something unique inside of you and it's incomparable. And it's not supposed to be the only value metric that is important is your bliss and your excitement about what you're doing in life. And I think it, it's it's very much that kind of all I can imagine is say like you go to a fancy dress costume party, right? And you when you arrive at the door, there's a big bucket of costumes, a big box of costumes, and, and you close your eyes and you just reach your hand in and you pull something out. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm I'm a I'm a plumber, I'm a I'm a vampire, I'm a nurse, whatever. And that's the costume you you have to wear. I think it's very similar with our lives. Um, this idea that you can change whatever you, your unique calling is, is is ridiculous and it just makes you sad and upset. Um, there is something, you could call it your soul's longing if you want, but there's something that it wants to be. And for so many of us, and for you it was an air hostess, but there was so much shame around that. Like, am I able to do it? Am I able? But you didn't 
buckle under the shame, you followed through and you ended up working for Aer Lingus, the, which is pretty much the, the best airline an Irish person could ever work for. You know, you really, you, you achieved that very beautifully, despite what the schools did. And, and I think, I think your story is just such a great example to everyone of um, how not only is it possible, but I think once we start to make the moves towards really following our soul's calling, we, we get a huge amount of universal support. Yeah. Uh, I think nature wants us, nature wants birds to fly, it wants insects to soar, and it certainly wants us humans to live a full human experience. What would you say is like even the key to like opening up to figuring out what your path is if you don't feel you know what it is because I think it's so noisy life is so noisy how do we how do we start figuring it out what it is that we actually want you do what you're scared of doing and that's what it is I I think we all we all kind of know we're not supposed to, I don't think we're really supposed to know the end goal and I'm not sure there is an end goal, but we do know the next step. And the next step is often break up from this partner when, cause it's clearly not working. Or the next step is leave my job because it sucks the life out of me or get that haircut that I always wanted to have, but I thought a person like me can't get that haircut or, or, or launch the social media profile or, or whatever the next step. We always know the next step. Like I think anyone listening right now will have a good idea. What's the big scary thing that they're trying not to look at? But if they move towards it, would threaten their whole comfortable existence. But on the other side of that threat is the opportunity for so much expansion. That right, that's that's what it is. And and that's all you have to trust in, you know. I, I mean, the way that I kind of try and operate through life is just recognize. What is expansion and what is contraction? And contraction is often when I'm like, mm, oh, don't do that, Connor. Or, oh, you can't afford that, Connor. Or I play a little small and expansion is typically, and I know that I'm expanding because typically I'll feel like I'm kind of shitting my pants a little. <laughs> you know, it'll be like, oh, wow, what have you just gone and done? Yeah, I'm- is there anything you would say we can do to most of the time it's like 20 seconds of radical courage will yeah. get you will get you over that. But like sometimes yeah. it's like, why are we so resistant to success? Because like it's in all of us, like, you know, and I firmly believe that what you dream of is that's your dream and that's yours to yeah. get. But I think sometimes what actually holds us back is the fear of actually getting it going shit. How will I cope with that or whatever it is? But like what, you know, what is it? What can we do to just to get that, I suppose, that bout of courage, you know, and to leave the resistance? I think you can you can think your way through these things like a way that I often think my way through these things is sort of going like, oh, you know, I'm Irish. I have been, you know, raised with the kind of Irish cultural conditioning, which is, you know, original sin confidence is arrogance if you prioritize yourself you're a selfish prick you know if you ever talk if you ever say I'm really good at this people assume you've notions do you know what I mean if you actually really love yourself people think you're vain like so 
recognizing like, wow, none of this is my fault. I've I've experienced such huge conditioning, all that would that would limit me from doing everything. Yeah. And and I think I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good idea to just observe elites in this world. You know what I mean? And, and observe the very wealthy and how very often they don't have these limitations because they have afford they've been afforded a kind of a certain education that would that has sort of bolstered them and is that has told them um I, I remember growing up for example um I was getting very heavily bullied in school and so my parents switched me to this little church of Ireland school for two years and it was a church of Ireland school where there was a lot of like very wealthy kids and um they just had a sense of belief they were, they were amazing. They talk about things, you know, and they were never bashful about their ambitions um, or their skills. And I suppose in my mind, you know, growing up from a small village where you, you kind of never wanted to like raise your head too much. You know, I thought like, oh God, they're all, they're very arrogant. But the reality wasn't. They were just kind of healthy kids who had been told that they were great at the things that they were great at and they've been kind of they they'd grown up with a story that they could achieve greatness in this world and um i'd grown up with a story that like you won't achieve greatness so just be nice to people do you know what I mean? be polite and have and know your manners and do, do, do you know what i mean that kind of thing so i i just remember those two years of my life being like very eye-opening for me and just recognizing this is how other people this is how you can this is just a story that these people believe okay there's a certain amount of privilege that was supporting that story but it's also a story and I, I think it is possible to to just behave that way to just fake it and you know if you want to be if you want to be an artist just act like an artist if you want to if you want to be someone who, um, if you have something to communicate, just just communicate it, you know, and recognize that this story is just like, it is just a story. It's kind of a fog that's gathered around you. And um, on the other side of it is is so much happiness and satisfaction. That's so, but it's, it's also, it's so true. Yeah. But I think sometimes often, isn't it, it's very hard even though you know a lot of the things that you believe are stories and they came from they came from someone else. Because obviously, look, I mean, they used to I think it was they said, you know, the first seven years now they're saying it's like up to the age of 11 or 12. It's, you know, the people around you, your caregivers, that's that's your personality in a sense, because you're you know, you're learning from them. Now, that's a long time, but we know it's a story and we know we've been conditioned from someone else. But how can we start to believe yeah, it actually is a story and I don't have to carry that story for the rest of my days? Where's a good starting point? Just challenge it. You know what I mean? So, so like, like the thing that I always work with, Tina, is like I grew up very poor. And so we would, you know, we would pray for rent money and stuff like this. And we would kind of, you know, we would. We would always, everything was like mine pennies, mine pennies, you know what I mean? Like all the clothes were hand-me-downs, everything like that. So I've always, like a big belief, a big story in me is that I'm just surviving, just surviving. I can never splurge. I can never really enjoy myself. And what I like to do is spend a lot of money 
and feel the and when I say a lot of money, it's probably not a lot of money for other people, but it's a lot of money for me and feel the kind of the panic in my nervous system as my whole body is reminded of the trauma of growing up poor and just feel the panic and be, whoa, and then just soothe myself and be, you're fine, Connor. You're going to survive. It's okay. It's fine. You'll be okay. You've just gotten, you know, whatever. You've just gone and spent like 80 euro <laughs> on, on a shirt or something like this. Um, but like that might be enough to put me into a little bit of a panic. Not so much nowadays, but this is very much like say a year ago or two years ago. This would have been a big issue for me. The same thing, even when it comes to say, like I'm, I would have a lot of, I would have a big story around trusting people and a big story about like not, maybe not valuing my worth. So having little moments where, I don't know, even with you, for example, when you contacted me about the podcast and I said, I was like, can we limit it to an hour? Now I got, I I, I felt a little attack from inside saying, oh, Connor, that's not, that's not a nice thing to say. You know what I mean? This, this, maybe this person won't like you now because you're not giving them all of your time. Do you know what I mean? There was a little part of me that was sort of, that began to attack myself. And my way of responding then was just to sort of like self-talk, soothe and be like, no, if you only want to do a podcast for an hour, just do a podcast for an hour. That's it. You prioritize yourself. doesn't matter. That's all. And so I think like taking the risk and rebelling against the thing, like you did, you know what I mean? You went and you went for the interview anyway, even though you had such a strong story that you couldn't be an air hostess. Yeah. And you know what? And and so many things that I've done and it's now, you know, realizing that that was a huge story and that's all down to self-worth, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm also, you know, I'm an actor and why, you know, I really enjoyed that. There's that, that side of, it's like getting to be someone else again, though, but you can draw the conclusions probably back to the same reasoning behind wanting to do things. But like that, it's, it's like, it's looking, isn't it? Looking at your biggest wound. And for me, the self-worth thing is, is huge. And, but facing it. So now I can, I had to like, I had to do the work to see why I was doing all these things. Now it allows me to enjoy acting from a different perspective because I probably, when I went into it first, yeah. was for to be validated to be seen I want my name and lights I want you know and it seems really like as was counterintuitive to want your face somewhere when you don't really like your face and that was, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean it was like oh yeah. that doesn't seem like something but I think often we we do that because you're kind of inside you're kind of you want to fight against the yeah. ego that's telling you because you you know that that you know deep down somewhere that it's just a story yeah. But often that knowing, isn't it? It's buried very deep. Yeah. And these things come out. The self-worth thing, you know, or whatever your story is, the scarcity, the lack, whatever it is. Yeah. It shows up everywhere, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every- everything you try to do or you every t- you know, you try to push it away, but it just keeps all our wounds keep rearing their ugly head in relationships and yeah. work. Totally. Until you just keep rebelling, 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 and eventually they get the message, I think. But it takes a lot of work. So why, I suppose I was asking you about like 
why do so many people, why do we all just, why are we happier to be miserable? You know, what is that resistance? Why, you know, we're so resistant. There's a secondary benefit from that. You know what I mean? There's a secondary benefit from being a victim rather than, I, I think we have, we have two, we have two wonderful options when we're here on earth. We can kind of play God or we can play a victim. And um, by by playing, by staying small and staying in this little space of, well, I won't risk anything. There's there's a kind of a comfort there, but it's a little bit like a death by a thousand cuts. You know what I mean? It's also like we fall in, like that's where depression kind of comes from too, this place of being a little bit comfortable and stagnant. And like there's something, there's something kind of like in a very strange, dark way, there's, there's something nice about depression in that you don't really have to risk. You don't have to take a chance. You don't really have to, you can ignore fear so that there's, there's something about it. Like, you know how people are like, and how we are in particular in relationships, you know, where we kind of, we, we, we stay in horrible relationships. A lot of us do because it's like, Oh, well, it's, it's it's more comfortable than actually living by myself or it's more comfortable than actually dealing with the bigger issues um and I, I feel we're here on earth to do great things and our refusal to do those great things is the great tragedy of humans i agree yeah. you know um you know one of the the reasons i suppose that like I wanted to even start this podcast is because I spent a lot of my life in self-loathing. Yeah. And I stayed like that, you know, stayed in relationships longer than I should have, was a, you know, a chronic people pleaser and would have been very, there was that always that part of me that like was interested in, meditation or these other things but it was like oh no 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 we can't do that because you know i wanted to be perceived a certain way yeah and you know that constant like wanting to be liked and now that i'm that i i look i believe that this healing journey is you know it's it's a lifelong journey i mean we came here to learn lessons and this is what i i always it's like you know we didn't come here for a pile of stuff that wasn't the reason we didn't come to earth to um to accumulate a load of things and i think that what we're shown like in society now is that that's that's what we're supposed to be attaining is like you know success is the amount of stuff that you have the amount of cars the amount of houses or property or you know whatever and and i would have always i suppose looked externally because it's it was it was too hard to look internally right and that's you know what we're saying is like it's easier to say when I have the house when I have the car when I get the promotion when I meet the man or woman whatever it is of you know the person of my dreams then I'll be happy but the trick is like is that it's all an inside job and that that happiness and that feeling of self-worth and you know that success that's available to you now yeah in this moment but like we're just it's so hard because we're so conditioned to look everywhere else mm-hmm. you know and so i for me it was like i literally you know 
ended up in a really terrible place and a lot of things happened and I had to take responsibility for it and I think you know you spoke about like this victim mentality that we have um, and that a lot a lot of people <laughs> most people have you know I think a lot of us are more in the kind of the victim mentality than the creator mentality at the moment but I don't blame people either because that's the way I think that society and life seems to be kind of set up. You know what I mean? But I had to take responsibility. And it's really hard to admit like that where you've ended up is all your own doing. But it's yeah. in that it's in that that comes the clarity, right? When you're like when you actually take responsibility for your shit, it's like it's really hard. And you're like, oh, this is. You know, it's not an easy journey that you're setting yourself on. But all those things that you were looking for elsewhere, you come to find them kind of rather quickly. And all the things that you thought were really important aren't because we're here for connection. Right. And we're here to love. And you wrote a book on love. So I'd love you to just to, to talk a little bit about about that as well because it's not you know it's not and this is the thing it's like you know you, your book is about all types of love and relationships because whenever we mention love I feel like it's automatically thought about like romantic love is what we're talking about yeah and um, I think I think that uh, what I was hoping to achieve with that book is just this sense that um we we, we can bring love into so many other areas of our life and in particular when we bring it into our relationship with ourselves and really actively not just use the word love as a kind of a a fluffy term but to really really actively um, pursue a life that is full of love towards yourself um, I think is a very noble calling yeah how did you come to that conclusion? Like what brought, what led you to want to even write a book about love? What was going on like with it you? It started as a joke um, <laughs> in that I noticed that I was giving lots of love advice. I noticed like lots of clients were coming to me and I was giving them lots of relationship advice. And I would always joke, I would say, this is the guy who's afraid of, afraid of intimacy afraid of commitment um afraid of trusting others who gives the best love advice and it really I felt like the mechanic who could fix any car but was driving around with in a jalopy with the the bumpers falling off and that's kind of really how I felt and I I had a lovely a lovely friend at the time and I confided in her and I sort of said well this is ridiculous. I, I kind of, I was like, I feel a little pull in me to write a book about love, but it, how ridiculous, like, who am I to talk about it? And she, and that was a risk, you know, there was the first risk. I took a risk by confiding and the risk paid off because she responded and said, but you're the best person to write about it because you know, you know it, you know it so well, you know, all the mistakes, you know, all the pitfalls. Um, and so, and it doesn't come easy to you. And she said, you know, it comes so hard for you. So you're the best person to write about it. And that encouragement was all it took. I think that's such a lovely lesson for people to learn. You didn't need to have a degree um, 
in psychology, say, to to write about something, to write about love. And I think we feel like you can get a certificate for anything now. Right. And I think there is that thing in us as well. It's like, well, who am I to do that? But like I often say, I'm like, well, who are you not to do something? If you feel like that calling is there, like you said, there was a little pull in you to write this book about love. But then you have that whole, I suppose, that imposter side kind of come in and be like, sure, who am I to do it? I mean, what do I know? It's like if you feel it, you are you are the best person to talk about it. And I think I was at a retreat in the summertime in the States and with um, Danny Morell and there was a slide up and it said no certification needed life is the teacher and I just thought yeah there are so many things you know that I think we're all very afraid to kind of to do something now that you feel so pulled towards and your heart really wants to do but like that fear is like well who am I to be able to do that and I don't have a piece of paper that says that I can do it when in all Mm -hmm. honesty like the, the people that you want to learn things from are the people with experience. Like I want to learn, you know, meditation from from you because I know that like what you went through and how you got there and that it is a practice. You know, I'm not just going around looking for someone. I'm not gonna (laughs) you know, you know, I'm not gonna go in and be like, oh Connor, can I actually can I before I sit down in this class with you, can I see your certification? And I think we have this fear that someone is going to call you out Mm. and expose you when the people that should be teaching the things or the people that feel that they should be teaching it have something to say about it have have been through it like I you know you writing a book in love is not someone that studied or have studied all about love and did a doctorate in it you know from research I you know I want to read about it from your perspective as someone who has loved has been loved has had their heart broken has learned to love themselves and it's like let me, you know, I want to learn from you because you've been there. You can actually teach me the tools of how you went through it and I can learn from you and take what I need from that. But I think, why are we, what is it? Why are we so afraid to open our mouths now and say, I have something to say about that. Can we get back to that where we actually trust the people who've experienced the stuff to teach us what they've learned? And then for us to go on and learn from that and take our own steps and teach the next person. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like that's, we should all be like here helping each other to, you know, on our path. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to write, you obviously, you have a practice, right? Yeah. Do you meditate every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this, this happens because I know meditation for some people, they think that it's just about being really, really silent and quietening your mind down completely like you must have no thoughts but that's not really what it is so say if somebody is listening out and they're like they like the idea they like they really want to try they've tried it before though and they're like oh I just can't get rid of these thoughts out of my head what's a good starting point when it comes to meditation I think recognizing that you're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be probably uncomfortable at the start is a good thing you know it's not gonna be it's not it doesn't often have an instant payoff um sooner or later we have to explore who we are and my my dad just died a month and a half ago and he spent the summer oh sorry to hear in, that in under sedation and in a coma 
in it he was coming in and out the whole time and there he was a man who'd probably never he'd never really meditated in his life he'd never really explored much beyond the intellect and he was dropped into i was just amazed at how he was dropped into a monastic state for the last four months of his life of just sitting there on his own with nothing but his thoughts and um all the time I go and sort of be with him when he was in the coma and things like that, I'd think, God, I'm so lucky that I meditate because if when this happens, when I get towards the end, um, this won't be so daunting for me because I'd already have explored so much. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a great preparation for death. That's really the big sales thing is that you get to know yourself and it's tedious but ultimately it's what changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. I think we should just, I just think we should just leave it there because that is something that I guess we don't want to think about, you know, what you just said there, but I've never thought about it like that before about like, you know, a preparation. That's such a really, really beautiful thought. Mm. And, you know, and even thinking and saying about your dad, and spending that last four months like that, we spend so much time running away from ourselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just to use meditation, just, yeah, it's all about coming home to yourself. Right. You yeah. know, it's just, yeah. Mm. Well, thank you, Connor, Thanks, for Tim. being with us today. And I think there was so many beautiful things to take away from our conversation and tell us, where can people find you? Where can we work with you if we want to work with you? And yeah, so what's I'm on coming in- next? I'm on Instagram. Um, in the new year, I'm bringing out a workshop all called Hacking Love. And it's all about how to crack the love code and understand love and bring more love into your life. Um, I, I coach people. I run meditation courses. And that's it. You can find me at meditatingwithconnor.com or at my Instagram, which is Connor Crichton. That's pretty much me. Great. Well, we'll stick it in the show notes. And um, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Well, that was such a gorgeous conversation, and I'm sure you will take away so much wisdom from it. Connor is so open and loving, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here are some of the main insights from today's episode with Connor. Embracing our softness doesn't diminish our strength. In fact, it enhances it. There's a lot of societal pressure and expectation on both men and women to fit into certain roles, and that can be limiting and stifling. So creating spaces where people can be vulnerable, express their emotions and be authentic is crucial for overall well-being. The more we can understand and appreciate the diversity within ourselves and others, the richer our collective experience becomes. You can connect with Connor on Instagram at Connor Crichton and on his website meditatingwithconnor.com, where you will also find his books, The Truth About Love and This Is It. Connor has also just launched his podcast Hacking Love, so please do go and show Connor some love on all of his work. 
we are running a lovely giveaway over on our Instagram page at the moment. We're giving away a 200 euro Zara voucher to one of you to celebrate the launch of True Intention. The competition runs until Sunday, January 21st at 9pm. Head over to our page to get all the details on how to enter. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with someone. Message them, email them or text them the link. Please share it on your social media and tag us at True Intention Podcast. Follow, subscribe and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen because it really does help us so much. Thank you so much for listening. It means the absolute world to me. I will talk to you very soon. Mm-hmm.